Okay, we're on. Am I audible? Am I? My? Do I sound like you can hear me clearly? Why can't you see me? I can't see you too well, but I can hear you. Wave your hand. Yes, I see you move. I see you move. It works. <laughs> Nobody move. Nobody <laughs> move from where they are. Everybody, all of you are in the right place. <laughs> the United Nations 2017 revision. of the world's population prospects it estimates the current population of this world to be at about 7.6 billion people and it's expected to jump to 8.6 billion by 2030 and is expected to move up to 9.8 billion by 2050 while there is an increase in life expectancy and people are living longer there is also the problem of having at least twice the amount of the world population to be above the age of 60 by the time we hit 2050 while healthcare costs and reduced productivity with diseases like cardiovascular disease chronic respiratory disease diabetes and cancer stemming from excessive alcohol use tobacco use poor diet and lack of physical activity drives millions of people into poverty it is estimated by the world bank that about 60 million people will be pushed to extreme poverty and only simply because of covid-19 and while it calls for major changes in our healthcare systems it also calls for a change of attitude for the people who will suffer the most from this this is take 18 no so i'm so sorry this is take 19 of stories with shastri and i have closer to home i have a story of a friend of india who was diagnosed at the age of 15 with diabetes and he took charge of that situation and he started a diabetic chef I'm just going to add him on so we can talk to him about millennial health and all the things that we can do about it. Hi. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. I very good. I've been reading uh, on uh, the health of uh, millennials and a lot of stats that came along and since you're an economics student I think it will really help me. Mhm. So the sorry so the statistics that a lot of these organizations present to us right um uh, they might be greatly skewed because of their sample sizes yeah. and they're very restricted to urban youth right so they miss out on a chunk of population of the rural youth and there's this inherent uh assumption that is made like even when we are doing economic models when we are constructing yeah. models this is what happens so especially in countries like india where the urban rural youth population is quite imbalanced yeah because of multiple reasons it's very oddly assumed that it might be like in the same line of regression you know what i'm saying yeah So I was just listening to what you were saying, and it was quite interesting. Yeah, there was, you know, there was this study that was done by uh, this insurance company called, uh, I think, Sigma KKT, and they did a study in India. They did one in the UK, and they did one in the US, and Germany, France, and Brazil. And they, that survey that they conducted says that Indian millennials. Ninety-five uh, percent of the Indian millennials that they surveyed have accepted to be stressed, which means that we are the most stressed millennial population in the world. So, why do you think we're like that? It's because of the social conditioning that we live in. With it's because of how we are expected to be in a certain way. It's because we are told that we need to perform. in our studies we need to perform in our uh, careers we're told that we need to perform in our relationships in a certain way and there's this whole setting that has been drawn around us that if you don't live up to xyz then you have failed because the system of grading is so inherently rooted in us since we were children that you have yeah. to be an a you have to be like a a plus you have to be an o in everything you do which is why that brings us that point of stress that if i am not getting xyz promotions within 10 and 12 months of my job that means yeah. i'm a b or a c or i failed if my relationship yeah. not going as planned that means i have failed 
so these inhibitions and these little failures that come around us they to- they're in totality uh, causing this whole factor of stress hmm. the second thing that comes in apart from just society is our own households like our parents have told us that you have to function and perform in a certain way and any deviation from that path means wronging to what they have yeah. said and what is actually supposed to be done so this whole lot sort of comes in to play with stress and the last part would be a whole factor of self loathing how you have watched things around you and how you want to be yeah. a certain way for instance yeah. someone who is overweight would want to be extremely thin someone who is thin would want to gain some weight someone who is yeah. in the midweight would want to be muscular someone who is too muscular would want to be lean someone who is too lean wants to be muscular and in all this whole wide spectrum of this expectancy of being a certain way we forget that we're just burdening ourselves with a lot of stress so uh we like we were you know talking about this yesterday we're a generation that prefers going to work or working over our sleep cycles and that is something that proves detrimental to our health in the long run long run and it you know causes burnout it causes hypertension and also is a major cause for depression and anxiety and invariably heart disease at a certain age so what do you think contributes to that sense of you know the constant fear of panic that you know you have to finish your work and you have to lose out on your sleep um see there's this inherent sense of uh, replaceability that we have in india that yeah. if you don't do the job someone will do it and you'll be replaced so at that sense yeah of, the responsibility factor yeah so the fact of replaceability is so important that if i'm unable to do a certain task then i'll be replaced for it which is why i would rather skip my sleep and do the job than be replaced tomorrow yeah. on an independent level on a freelance basis or on an employability like basis where like uh, i have friends who work at like very very large scale dimensions and they are told every day in their hr meetings that if you all don't perform now we'll replace you we've just sacked 500 people 1000 people so this yeah. whole idea of replaceability and this uh, job insecurity which does not exist quite around everywhere that we look at especially in the western cultures where saturdays and sundays are and off and you cannot email your employees post at 10 pm but in india there's this carry factor that sunday ko agar email aaya to reply karna hi hai you have to reply to the email that comes to you and submit a report even on a weekend because you might be replaced tomorrow that is one part of it second is this whole idea of i need to prove myself right if you're trying to prove yourself to someone who is judging you by the way you perform and not judging you by your work if you know what i'm saying like the quality versus like the delivery of time is this whole important factor that plays in and it really takes a toll on your health for most of us like you know how i function as well like i'll be hypocrite if i detest the fact that you can't sort of work in certain timelines you need to sleep on certain timelines um i do stretches of 15 and 16 hours of work as well my reasons are quite similar not just about replacement but because of this whole crunch of time i have right now because of the situation so a lot of this yeah. is also situational um you can't do away with work but you can probably like better it out by some form of like activity or you can better it out with a better eating habit or just gapping your caffeine intake like you won't believe it from whenever we've known each other it's probably been 4 5 years but i've been off caffeine for 6 months wow like no coffee like I no direct caffeine food is why i wake up exactly so i've legit woken up and had half a mango so i am trying to balance out a lot of toxins like i've reduced smoking uh i've reduced the intake of a lot of uh toxins in my body as much as possible 
so if i am affecting my sleep cycle i would probably want to balance it by doing zumba the same day or so that i get more sound sleep the term sleep like a baby comes in play or yeah, i would like to dance or i'd like to uh do some pranayam or i'd like to do some form of yoga or some exercise that will help me uh balance it out with my sleep cycle and also help with my health factor right tell me a little more about being off caffeine what's that like so my anxiety has never so of course my anxiety is pretty bad in general i've been on medication for the last two and a half two and a half since 2018 so about roughly two years i've been on meds like ssris and like a bunch of different drugs so uh being off caffeine was a conscious decision because i felt like this heartburn and this rush i used to have after having coffee okay and this was temporary it was like a rush i would have for at least an hour and a half or two where i'd just feel anxious like like trembling and then you know all the different symptoms of anxiety and this was purely caffeine driven hmm. you know how people decide to stop certain things just like that yeah the maximum caffeine i would have like had would have been like a sip of latte and latte is supposed to be warm milk literally right with like a hint of hazelnut or like a hint of coffee but like that's yeah. literally like a sip of it i would have had probably 4 months 5 months back because like like we're sitting in a setup and like probably a hot chocolate is being passed around and like you know a group of friends or whatever colleagues uh being off caffeine has actually helped me improve my sleep cycle okay like i have noticed that i sleep much longer when i'm not having any caffeine in my body because any substance to leave your body takes a certain amount of time so yeah. from sleeping 4 to 5 hours i now sleep for 7 to 8 hours wow so that is one of the things also i have not consumed meat at the same time for the last 3 months so probably all of this is factoring in together but i guess caffeine was like one thing i could not resist like i used to have five espressos a day like easy five espressos yeah. like I, i i remember when you know in a setup where i was working outside i would always be driven by any amount of coffee and it's at a point where i know that you know i feel like i'm immune to it because nothing i can still sleep like a baby exactly exactly which i know that so do you think that our generation or that do you think we take health seriously um unless it gets really bad we don't right so right I was obese while growing up. I was unhealthy, and I would not take things seriously at all. Okay, unless I got until I got detected with diabetes. Until the big D came to me and like shook me up and said like, "Hey, bro, you're gonna die. They'll chop your feet off and they'll do this and that to you." Yeah. But you gotta stop. You gotta draw the line. Similarly, I have friends with thyroid, and I have friends with like multiple health conditions who don't take care of themselves on a very regular basis. But when that uh, fact comes in, that when the doctor gives that report out, like, "Hey, listen, this is the problem with you," is when you start taking care. So we're a very scared youth. We're not a very preventive, yeah. let's take care of ourselves kind of people. Right. the ones who go to the gym have gone there for an external facade and the ones who are taking care of their health are a part of a cult and there's a very minuscule people number of people who are actually taking care of themselves the rest of us are just living in our bubbles until the doctor yeah. has bursted the bubble and told us ki hey listen boss this is problematic and speaking you of- are in problem but you know speaking of uh, having your bubble bursted what was it like for you at the age of 15 to be told that you're diabetic um <laughs> i mean now that i look back i find it funny but in a very literal sense 
मेरे पैरों के नीचे से दुनिया फिसल गई थी आई हैड लॉस्ट माई सेल्फ कम्प्लीटली आई हैड नो ट्रैक ऑफ टाइम आई हैड नो ट्रैक ऑफ पीपल आई डिट नो वट वॉज हैपनिंग एनी मोर बिकॉज यू नो यू हैव दिस सेंस ऑफ अ वेरी हैवी हार्ट एंड योर नंबर like you just don't know what's going on around you and you're just sitting with like a sheet of paper and you're just shivering and looking at it and you just don't know what what's going on because you don't know what these numbers mean to you yeah. so then you go to the doctor and then you present to the doctor and the doctor says acha beta suno these are the issues hmm. and doctors are one of the most unfiltered people you'll ever meet in your life hmm. they're the last people who console you which is great But it's yeah, also it like it's also a little scary. Ki like he'll just be like, "Acha, beta, tumhe diabetes hai, tumhe ye hai, tumhe wo hai," and beta bhi nahi. They'll just be like, "Oh, you have this, you have that, you have this, you have that." So these are the medicines you need to take. Get out there. So <laughs> by the time you've absorbed it and processed the whole thing that you are diabetic, it, it's time for you to have reached home. Like this whole journey has gone through, and now you let it sink in. So for the next time you pick up anything to eat and you're about to put it in your mouth, you're just like, oh shit, I am diabetic. Am I supposed to eat this? Then you put it back right. down, and then so you pick a... up. A... Sorry, sorry. No, please continue. No, no. Uh, so there was a lot of reconfiguration that you went through, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. Like, imagine cutting out all forms of sugar from your body for two years, including natural sugar, fruits, and everything you can imagine. I can do that. My mom doesn't. We don't have sugar in my house. I literally I check my entire pantry. There's no sugar. I don't. No. I naturally don't pick. So this includes chips. This includes uh, fried food. This includes fast food. This includes a lot of what we consume in normal times. This includes fat fat milk. This includes um, what else? I feel like I'm cheating on my diabetes also. You can't eat Maggie, you can't eat white mm. uh, sauce, you can't have meda, you can't have a lot of butter. So a lot of these things just come in and crash in front of you, like right in front of you, because you're like, hey, listen, everything's out of order, and your body's not functional. So then this mm. this whole um, rule set that comes to you. Right. Okay. So you have to follow A with B with C and D and E, and I was cool going that time. Yeah. So imagine going to school, watching other kids eat certain things, but quietly refusing to things even if you're offered, and eating in the canteen was a big no for me, because I could not eat anything of the canteen. But did you tell people that your friends that you were diabetic, or did you face any kind of uh, you know? discrimination amongst your peers for being diabetic did that ever happen um i'll tell you a little funny story so yeah. my parents told me not to tell anyone that i'm diabetic okay yeah. and this is something that i've spoken about in one of my recent talks also uh i think it's like my oldest uh, youtube video that i have put up about how this child who didn't tell her teachers and her students uh about her diabetes condition she ended up getting sick because she didn't tell anybody and then eventually uh she passed in school because she slipped into a coma and things got really bad and nobody knew what to do because she didn't tell anyone about her insulin intake etc yeah. so essentially what happens is that our parents have conditioned us to not tell people about our medical condition because of discrimination hmm. but they forget that sometimes and most of the times they're not with us there will be medical emergencies god forbid there might be things that happen that will require you to be assisted that will require you to be helped in a certain way or the other you will have to be taken care of when your parents are not around and what if someone doesn't know what's going on with you yeah if you are a hypoglycemic person when you your blood sugar has dropped a lot and people think you have you're having an epileptic attack because it looks the same like in a hypoglycemic Uh, incident, my eyes roll up. I go blank out and I fall straight on my face. Hmm. And like I'm just trembling, and this looks like a seizure. And I'm not even joking. You can't tell the difference until you know. Which is why there are a lot of times when you wear a bracelet for type one diabetics. You wear like a chain which says T1D, 
or it has a symbol that says you need insulin and like that thing that just talks about it okay right so if i didn't me, know about this yeah so there are bands it's called the diabetic band no no i'm talking about the epile- it looking like an epileptic seizure yeah. i had no idea about that i mean it it looks really you can't tell the difference until you know so which is why we have these stickers and we have these uh machines that are put on our body that keep reading our blood sugar like at all points of time so we know what our blood sugar fluctuation is like how uh our body's functioning so coming back to my story um initially for the first week i told my very close friends which meant the entire school would know so all my teachers and all my friends had found out most of my teachers thought i was making up stories and i was lying so one of the teachers slapped me and told me like why am i making up stuff and t- scaring the other students and i said i am not like it's the truth and it's the reality and then i was asked to produce reports and i did show it and then one of my teachers made fun of me in front of all the students on a school trip and it was quite yes. disheartening but then eventually we got along with it right that that's quite i'm sorry that that happened and i hope that it changes eventually we have a question for you that asks how was the experience being a tedx speaker um honestly it's just like another talk okay so tedx is one of the most overhyped platforms that there are out there okay in fact you're limited to a certain audience when you're a tedx it's very curated it's very constricted like i yes. can't be myself the way i want to be also it ain't paying my bills it doesn't give me a penny it's a great platform i'm not denying that but there's a lot of problems around it inherently like i realized it after my third talk i was like okay so now i need to like reduce on the number of the frequency of tedxs because there's a lot of rules and regulations around it of course it's an unmatched feeling people look up to you etc 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 but all of this is validation right there's nothing that comes from within that tells you after a certain point that hey listen it's 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 like a tedx it's like a you you achieve so much and you've done so yeah. and so it's not like a forbes it's not like an award that you won like right. today when i look at my book that i've written the book and then when i look at my tedx certificate i would weigh my book way above than my tedx talks not that i am dissuading anyone to do one i'm just saying that it's overhyped people have just made the hype of tedx's and talks like way up there people need to really know that you need to uh you need to just let your voice out there through any medium and ted tedx is just one of them so unless your message is reaching the right people you're doing the job well so it's okay it feels okay to be a tedx speaker it's it's just fine speaking of your book congratulations i'm very proud of you. you can you tell my listeners a little more about it i started the my work journey as an entrepreneur at 15 around the same time as i had diabetes with like teaching uh, aunties how to bake and like cooking food for people and selling like cupcakes and macaroons and stuff like that um so at that time you know i had to sort of encompass and i had to bring together all my pe- learnings because as someone who was very forgetful i just thought i'll forget everything that i'm doing every day so i just make a little journal note of like um sold so and so for so and so much cost is so much sales price so much so profit should be this much so that is how i learned how you make profit then i understood costing then i understood fixed variable costs then i understood procurement uh then i understood a lot of different factors of how a business is run okay so then bringing in together different forms of businesses working on different things over 7 years i compiled something known as my journal and then of course right. i refined the language and did a lot of different things so which is how journal of a serial entrepreneur came together hmm. across my experience at five startups and about 30 40 brands that i worked with 
so that is how journal of a serial entrepreneur came in uh people have this misconception that the books about my story the book literally has nothing about me hmm. it's about the learnings i've had and it's not about how the 95% startups uh fail it's about how the 5% startups succeed that nobody talks about right so yeah so what was it must have been quite thrilling as far as i remember i think you launched it in your alma mater which is uh, symbiosis school of economics right oh uh, yes actually there was a pre launch that happened like the official launch happened in uh, bombay right we but you had we had a book launch in bombay where we had um a lot of uh, we had a lot of things that were going on in bombay as a part of the activity because there was a whole book launch uh book book tour organized rather so there was bombay there was pune pune was symbiosis there was delhi and there was gurgaon uh there was sonipat haryana then finally there was dubai and then in the end we were supposed to go to chennai and jaipur but because of covid 19 both chennai and jaipur had to be called off as a part of the tour so Pune was one of them, and the alma mater was definitely like an important uh, milestone of the process, because that's where my official journey as an entrepreneur had begun. And uh, I really am quite grateful to my friends I met at Symbiosis, who pushed me and made sure that I was always out there. They would get me like things I would need. just during the hour of it like if i wake for 30 hours straight like i'm really tired yeah. they would know just the right thing to do to order food for me to ensure that i've taken my medicines to make sure that i go off to sleep so these few friends who obviously weren't there that time because they're all across the world right now doing their own thing they were one of the reasons i actually went back to my college to make that mark and be like hey guys this is for all of us we started her yeah, and today is the book yeah So yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it felt like full circle. What made you start a diabetic chef? You started this in Symbiosis, and what made you actually go towards this journey? Uh, I've always been someone who likes to help people out. Like it's just inherently like someone who I am. So a diabetic chef is uh something that came in as like a helping factor. for people around me especially like looking at my mother grow up with diabetes like when i was growing up she she has had diabetes since i was like 8 years old or 9 years old okay so looking at her being restricted to not eat most things was difficult or and so to say disheartening so i just realized that it's not just her but it's a bunch of people who are in that whole area of not being allowed to eat certain things and uh It it just broke me completely. So then I started writing down all the recipes I would make for myself that were successful on Facebook as a blog, and then it started reaching people. And I didn't know what to call it. So then I literally took the simplest term out there: "Oh, diabetic chef." Yeah. Like there was no two thoughts to it, which is how a diabetic chef became what it was. And then later I thought, should I change it? Should I not? And then people just said, just go on with it. and to become a brand to reach larger audiences than everything it did i i'm glad you finally did that they say that you know they say that you are what you eat so what are what is something that you have learned along the way that has helped you or helped your customers or you know for example uh, diabetics have uh, tarla dalal does a whole thing for diabetic cooking So, what's your take on that? Is there something that's helped worked for you personally that you would recommend to people for just um, better health, not just diabetes? So, honestly, the problem here is just simple. We don't have diabetic cookbooks that are authentic. Hmm. Uh, it's problematic because people call things sugar-free, sugar-less. healthy yeah. keto friendly ketogenic okay and there's so many layers to it that you just can't believe in any of those finally one book except i mean i know there are some western books that are based on diabetic cooking and stuff like that 
but uh, they're not meant for Indian households. Are you getting what I'm saying? Like, yeah. as someone who's accustomed to eating dal, chawal, roti, sabzi on an everyday basis, I can't have a quiche and I can't have a risotto and I can't have a pasta and I can't have pizzas every other day. Are you, yeah. you, you, you know what I'm saying for dinner and for lunch and for like breakfast? I need to have my ragi dosa, I need to have my idli, I need to have my sandwich. I need to have things that I like to eat. And if I pick up like a westernized cookbook, which is like one out of 1000 authentic books, the identification yeah. factor is also very difficult right. to get the right book. So my journey has been quite difficult because it's been a whole lot of trial and error. So every 100 times, literally 100 times I would try a recipe, once or twice it would be correct, like perfect. Oh, like wow. a plated food piece I would have in front of me and then I would eat it. Okay. But yeah, props to your patience towards it. We have a question that asks whether you plan on uh, coming up with a cookbook meant specifically for diabetics. Um, I wouldn't want to officially comment on it. Okay. But something might be baking yet. Oh, nice. So, what are the common uh, health patterns that you've noticed in your customers throughout this journey of, you know, dealing um, with people with diabetes or with people with various other, like with cholesterol or hypertension? Um, what are common things that you found with their health and their attitude towards their health? To be honest, the most common factor, not just health-wise, is they're shit-scared. Like, they're really scared, okay? Like, whenever they come to you, they'll ask you 100,000 questions to have a piece of brownie and it's acceptable. Yeah. It is completely acceptable because they haven't gotten that sort of food ever outside of yeah. their houses and of that certain taste. Yeah. And then this whole factor of believability comes in, like conviction, that are they convinced yeah. enough that what they're having is authentic or what they're going to buy from me is going to be fine for them. Uh, a common health trait would be uh, the whole problem of this tastes too real. If you know what I'm trying to say. Like a uh, diabetic friendly dessert can taste like a regular dessert because of whatever the recipe is and how things are, right? So people yeah. find it difficult to believe that it's a diabetic friendly or it's a healthy dessert. So that point yeah. just becomes like, hmm. if you know what I'm saying. And the yeah. second part that comes in, uh, second part that would come in is, um, can someone who's non-diabetic in my house have this? Because when people yeah. come to buy desserts, they don't buy like one or two pieces. No, they buy like a lot of six or they buy ten pieces or like they buy like a box of chocolates or however. Um, then they're worried about preservatives and they're worried about what is the shelf life because if they take it home, how long can be refrigerated? Have you added any extra preservatives to it? Have you added any chemical stuff to it? Does it have aspartame? Does it have like different stuff? And yeah. this whole thing becomes like very uh, holistic. So you have to be very sure of what you're selling. So in my case, it's simpler said than done because I am a diabetic. And for proof purposes and proof of concept, I can eat something in front of you and tell you that, hey, listen, I'm eating it. You can eat it too. It's fine. Yeah. Cool. Because we have a shared poison. Yeah. Which we're prohibited. So if I'm going to have the Adam's apple, like you're supposed to eat it too. And then both of us will be affected in the same way. So technically, yeah. And as an Indian audience that I've catered to, it's mostly a very scared audience. We can't do much about it. And you cannot possibly, you can't possibly do much than uh, just be humble, be nice to them. And make sure that they understand what you're selling. Because this is not a market of um, apples. Yeah. This is really like one of those markets, like a, probably a market of diamonds. It sounds very bizarre, but you have to have the right curated pieces 
explained in the best way to be sold although the ticket value might not be that high but the kind of audiences that are consuming are vulnerable they're scared so which is that with diabetic chef you are dealing with a very sensitive audience and you have to be very careful with the kind of positioning you're having and with the kind of um explanation and descriptions you have for your products so yeah but it's i think it's going to take some time for people to you know realize that just because it's diabetic friendly doesn't mean that you can't have it or the whole, what i mean what do you think that food is made of i don't understand that it's quite interesting how people react to it in that situation <laughs> um so people have said it like out and out loud are ye to sugar free mai kyu khaunga ha they like ye to diabetes walo ke liye mujhe diabetes nahi hai and you know what's the worst thing i've ever heard what isko kha ke mujhe diabetes to nahi ho jayega na i'm not joking i'm not even kidding so sorry i'm so sorry and i'm just like bro first of all i am diabetic i don't see the problem in this situation that i am making something for another diabetic and you're eating it and asking me if you're threatened by getting diabetes like kudos to you <laughs> Yeah I mean but I feel like I I'm you know noticing certain patterns in the people around me or you know stuff that they're putting up online at least from whatever I can tell and through the pandemic while you know we're ensuring that we're washing our hands for like 20 seconds every time and what not but then there's another growing you know section of society or of people our actually people from our generation who aren't paying attention to other health concerns as much in comparison for example they're not paying attention to say UTIs or PCOS or diabetes or cholesterol or hypertension so how do you think we as a collective can actually change that so it's a very interesting series of uh events that we've been surrounded with the whole pandemic and staying at home and it all boils yeah. down to hygiene it's a right. mental dental oral food hygiene and just how you keep yourself in general okay um so i was working with this gynecologist and a very great lady very great doctor uh i used to research a lot of material for her for on ground events and for her uh drives that she would conduct uh distribution of menstruation cups uh yeah. her uh, sanitary napkins uh explaining how tampons work at sector in schools and colleges around mahim so doctor and i used to always discuss what are the things that are involved or uh, the biggest problem rather the biggest challenge with having a pcos formerly known as pcod is the stigma around it yeah like the first thing a mother would ask her daughter instead of sitting her down and explaining it to her is asking the doctor kya meri beti ko bachcha ho sakta hai ki nahi yeah i mean you know what i'm trying to say like it it doesn't work like that so doctor and i hmm. we used to speak about it all the time so pcos is one condition that is controllable by weight loss it's a condition yes. that can be controlled with uh, by diet by exactly. dieting exactly your controlled carbs intake so pcos inherently evolves with uh, diabetes and thyroid okay which is why you either gain weight yeah. you lose weight and then your blood sugar levels fluctuate quite a lot or uh, a lot of people contract i i'm sorry. so sorry to cut you off out there but i got diagnosed with pcos when i was pretty young and uh, my doctor first they put me on the uh, on the planapil and i just did not like the idea of you know having that because i know it's changing my body and i just didn't you know i wasn't up for that idea and then eventually i met another doctor who told me that just control your diet and watch what you eat and just exercise and it will be fine so there was like a couple of years in the middle i was absolutely okay but then i think last year onwards it just started getting so bad because the cyst returned because in some cases the cysts come up during the menstrual yeah. cycle and in some yeah. cases it is there yeah. so for me they show up only during my menstrual cycle and i but it, it has nothing to do with uh, for me my 
thyroid has been normal my sugar has been normal even though i have a high risk with both sides in my family it's still been pretty normal so this whole idea of uh, uh utis and pcos and a lot of these conditions have a lot to do with stress it's a lot to do with your um oral hygiene it's a lot to do with your genitalia it's a lot to do how you keep yourself clean it's your cleanliness is not just the amount of face wash that you have used on your face or how much you shampoo your hair it's also about the rest of you uh you should be very careful with signals when uh and it's very normal to have these kind of things when you're growing up in your 20s like doctor and i have spoken so much about this weird stench that we all like sometimes just have like this whole smell that comes around or we have our own issues people boys especially don't end up uh with basic hygiene of like cleaning themselves up yeah and it's problematic because it can cause any and every problem in the short run and the long run hmm. and these are these are very developing issues like with diabetes you're very highly prone to uti eyes yeah i didn't know that yeah so which is why when we get a urine tested like so there's a blood sugar there's a pp and yeah. there's a urine test so the urine test yeah. is done to find particles in your urinary uh, substances so they check for bacteria they check for viruses they check for cysts they check for bumps and like different stuff particles basically in your urine which shows that if your urine is clean or not also if there's sugar present in your urine or not hmm so there are a lot of factors that come in that we don't realize on a very conscious level which we should start taking care of or uh, which includes all of this so one message to everyone would be like just watch what you eat eat whatever you want but just watch it like be conscious about it like i know of late in the last week i have binged a lot of sweet stuff and i'm it's lethal for me like it's too bad for me i can feel the pain around my hand my joints yeah. my my eyes hurt here like i have the pain all around it but i know that i will stop and when i stop it will go away but it's not healthy so i won't be just a preacher we all have our times we all have our stress balls that we need to bust we need to get out of it but there has to be a certain amount of control and you got to take care of yourself that's i agree i agree with you on that there was this report that was done by uh, moody's analytics which was about the economic uh, consequences of millennial health so i mean this was conducted in the us obviously but i will come to india it states that there's been a sharp increase of chronic conditions like hypertension high cholesterol hyperactivity and major depression in 2017 in comparison to 2014 right now coming to india there was a study that said that more than 50% of uh india does not have access to adequate mental health care along with physical yeah. so like you said about how the rural and the urban population yeah. it's such a stark imbalance so you know when we're talking about affordability of being able to go there the stigma of okay i'm going and getting some help for my stress or for my anxiety towards work or you know keeping that in control but so many people don't have access to it and, and even it, people like us with privilege who have access i'm sorry have been told ki ye to tumhare dimag mein yeah like it's just in your that head it's not a real thing yeah. i don't get it i really don't get it i have been visiting a psychiatrist for the last 2 years mm-hmm. for multiple reasons i have an appointment with her like soon again and yeah. every time i would talk to her my parents would be like सिर्फ while going to a psychiatrist helps some people for some people is different they can just talk to a psychologist or they can just go to therapy yeah yeah they can go into different forms of therapy instead of medication but whatever it is i feel like there's also a set of us who are in a state of denial that everything is fine 
even though you can clearly tell even though you know that it's not but you're just telling yourself that while that can help i feel like in the long run it may not of you know being able to actually make that phone call to a doctor and i feel like that's also why because of that kind of uh, with such a low demand in that sense the fees are so high it's not covered by your insurance so why would someone spend so much money to go to talk to another person i'll uh, explain to you how this is detrimental okay in a very short yeah. analogy xyz person catches like a fever and the fever is between 100 to 102 so according to my, according to the mother a paracetamol would help so she would give him a crocin she would give him more her crocin the person develops a cough congestion so there'll be a decol totally given to the person ki ha haldi ka doodh pee lo then the person starts having chronic headaches then another crocin goes in after 6 hours because there's this whole setup of doctors within your household yeah <laughs> okay nuske ghar ke nuske but people don't realize that there's a reason why this buddy has practiced for 10 years studied for 5 8 years done the mbbs md to treat you and just when things are really bad and blowing out of proportion are doctor ke chalo doctor ke chalo hospital chalo hospital chalo you could have simply called the doctor out when the problem started so people yeah. here don't tackle symptoms they tackle diseases Yeah. So when problems are building up, everyone wants to heal it themselves. They're like, okay, I'll, um, I'll probably listen to some music or I'll just read some book and I'll just get away with it. If you're having a panic attack, it's an attack. It's a medical condition. It's not something that is very freely controllable by X Y Z people. You have to seek medical help when required. You know, when physical symptoms don't show, people don't understand. Hmm. and god forbid when it does happen to people i know the best how bad it can get like yeah. we've spoken about it how things yeah. can get for a lot of us so just having a psychologist is a very normal practice like i don't know if you know this i'm pretty sure you might have read it somewhere but every psychiatrist and psychologist has another psychiatrist and psychologist yeah it's necessary yeah because of the kind of like build up that you have in your head So yeah, as you give, yeah. So as you give school exams, give mental health exams as well. Yeah, it's important. I feel like for a lot of people. Yep. And you know, I uh, right before, uh, right before the first, I think this live stream, I asked my mom what she thought about uh, millennial health, and she just looks at me straight with a dead face, and she goes like. it's a disaster waiting to happen and i realize how true that is to such an extent and uh, it was not what do you think we can do and start it can i'm not just talk about eating or lifestyle what are the little changes that we can make and what are the changes you have made for example to you know reduce the amount of stress you have or work on to take care of yourself more mentally physically emotionally you need to cut off people from your life and yeah, you need to block out you need to block out people you need to uh you need to understand that certain people are not meant to be around you and some people are toxic to you so the first step is to not let these people affect you to not let people around you who cause you damage to your mental health affect you so it's very important to cut them off second is ignorance like you have to start ignoring certain things i'm not saying start ignoring like problems i'm saying start ignoring um like people because when you start mm. giving them so much power over you they start affecting mm. you more so factors people or things that start affecting you they leech on to you you need to let go of them okay. and the best time to do is do, do the same is uh when you are about to get more vulnerable towards these situations second right. is uh, sometimes it's okay to not retaliate hmm. like you know always having a reaction is not the best thing to do so just smile and walk away like you know the whole madagascar smiling wave just yeah. smiling waves be like okay ha 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 okay bye the next thing would be uh, know your triggers 
like maybe physical health or mental health just start introspecting and identifying what your triggers are because these will actually help you of avoid and divert yourself before anything is about to happen like if you know coffee is bad for you don't have coffee hmm. like if you know talking about toxic relationships can affect you don't talk about them right if you're not comfortable with certain things don't do them so these are small steps that you start taking that i have personally taken um to just make it better and communicate because if you don't communicate people won't understand what you're going through physically mentally yeah. in terms of your health and otherwise yeah we're not mind readers i i tell that to people you have to tell me what is going wrong or if you want yep. something or you want something i can't are do you, your mind or you ask a wonderful right. friend to make you a playlist and then she does it for you he does it for you yeah yeah have you listened to it last night i slept through to it like i was listening to it and slept off oh it i'm so happy i'm so happy okay so i think this brings us to the end of uh, our conversation so i hope you have a great day i hope you, you stay healthy i yes. hope this helps any person listening who will be alive by the time we reach 2050 because you should listen to what i said earlier to pay some attention and just take care of yourself and those around you because unless you take care of yourself you can't take care of anything around anyone you. it is yeah, not yeah. but thank you so much for agreeing to do do this this was so much fun i learned so much Yay. from you so i'm very excited <laughs> with this new challenge we'll talk yes, soon thank you let's bye 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 bye. Okay, so that was Harshkadia, and uh, we. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about the importance of taking your health seriously, and why it is necessary. And uh, yeah, if you like this, please uh, share it with your friends. If you think it can be better, message me. Tell me how it can be better. What I can do better. If you. Uh, think there's someone i should be bringing on to this session let me know i'll try to make that happen and this is stories with shastri bye